This is Chris Sove from RetroCession.org. Welcome. This is episode 11 of Step Into Bliss, our mostly daily podcast. I want to talk a little bit about how I selected this topic before I get into it. I've been meaning to do this for a while, and, and honestly, part of the reason I haven't posted episodes the last couple of days is because I've kind of struggled with this topic. Every episode until now has been step into something. This one's different. Obviously, you've seen the title. Hard truths about healing. But I, I don't think I'm starting a series of hard truths about and then some topic. This is just something that weighs on me. And, and it, it is something I've struggled with because I, I represent something, retrocession, that changed my life. It's a kind of healing modality. And there are a lot of people out there right now who represent themselves as healers, coaches, spiritual coaches. And it's given me pause. My intent here is not to judge anyone. It's not to talk bad about anyone. I certainly won't mention anyone or give any identifying information. But I struggle because I've been afraid to be lumped in with some of the people that I see on social media, some of the people I know in my personal life. And and I'm working through that. I'm not saying that that is like a a feeling that is um, productive or something that I want to continue with, but that's, that's honestly how I feel. Coaching has become an industry, but I think it's more than an industry when you dig deep. Let me see if I can explain what I mean. It's a little attenuated. So coaching is supposed to be about one person helping another person get through something challenging in their life. There are life coaches, people that help people generally with their life, getting it on track, getting people in the, set off in the direction they want to go in. There are health coaches helping people get their health in line. There are spiritual coaches and Some of you may have seen many, many examples of these, and there's probably dozens of other types of coaches out there, and that's fine. I'm not not really talking about coaching in general right, right now. I'm talking about a specific part of it, and when I say coaching is is not that all the time. It's not always about somebody helping somebody else. Now, that may be on the surface, but the, the hard truth is that many of these coaches, for them, coaching is the thing that is changing their life. They are coaches because their life needed to change. They had a nine-to-five job, and I'm, I'm talking about very specific cases here. Coaches had a nine-to-five job, couldn't hack it, hated it, wanted a different life, and so they take to coaching people on how to leave their nine-to-five and that's the way they left their nine to five. Um, and I think where I struggle with this is that is a pyramid scheme. Just straight up, it's a pyramid scheme. If you're training people to lose their job so you can lose your job, that's a pyramid scheme. I don't see any other way to look, look at it. And, and, and then... It goes a little further sometimes. It's not just about the job, but somebody is unhappy, unfulfilled, depressed, and anxious. And so they start teaching people how not to be anxious, depressed, 
and struggling and that's their way of getting out of that because now they can stay at home they don't have to go to their job they have a they they can just talk to people on the internet they get to study things that might help them um it is a another kind of spiritual or or uh yeah spiritual pyramid scheme and that's what motivated this and i'm going to talk more about coaches i, I really didn't intend to start this way I just wanted to sit here, close my eyes and go. And, and that's what I'm doing. So, um, so we'll kind of give you a preface of the second part of this, this, uh, podcast, because the first thing I want to talk a bit about is healing itself. Before I get started, I want to give you a caveat and this applies to this entire podcast all the way back to the beginning. It actually applies to every episode of this podcast. What I'm giving is my opinion. This is, this is not just a disclaimer. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to present you with some objective truth. I'm telling you about what has happened in my life, what I've observed, what I've experienced in my body, my mind, my spirit. I'm not here to tell you how it is for you. My hope is that some of you will resonate with what I'm talking about. And, and I can kind of help you walk the path that I walked. I'm not here to carry you down that path. Never, under any circumstances. I can't do that anyway, and I'll get into that later. That's a key part of healing. Is that you, it's you. Nobody is going to heal you directly. You have to be ready, willing, and able. You have to present yourself. Yes, you can be healed. But even in the Bible, Jesus didn't just walk around healing people. Healed, he healed those who were ready. They had faith. Same thing applies here. You can't just go to somebody and expect them to fix your life. But we'll get into that. But this is all my opinion. This is my experience. If it resonates with you, great. If not, that's great too. I'd love to hear about it. You can always DM me you can, on any social media. You can go to my website, retrocession.org. There's a chat box, lower right. Um, it's not an immediate chat, so it does send me an email and a text message, and I can respond that way. I may not respond within an hour, but it, I'll get back to you uh, pretty quickly. So I'd love to hear from you, whether it resonates or not. All right. So I don't usually have notes when I do this po podcast, but I do this time and you might hear some rustling of paper, and I'm just going to leave that in. Um, that's just the way it is. I, I do like to, sp I'm going to speak off the cuff mostly. It's important to me that I speak from the heart, and that's all I'm doing here. But I want to make sure I covered some specific things today. So, starting with healing itself. And this, this applies no matter what modality you're in, even physical healing through Western medicine, this applies. This, there's a dichotomy here. There's two different things. And now there is some overlap sometimes, but we have to differentiate between symptom relief and real deep permanent healing. Symptom relief and real healing. Now, don't, don't get the idea that symptom relief is invalid or wrong. Um, symptom relief is necessary, especially for people that are in a situation that's unmanageable for them where they can't even get out of bed. They can't, they can't do the work that's needed to actually heal. Symptom relief is absolutely essential. I think most of us even need it on a day-to-day -day basis. So please know I'm not condemning symptom relief, but it's important to me to express what I've seen that often symptom relief is presented as healing or 
it's not even presented that way. Somebody assumes that what is symptom relief is healing. And so I want to make that really clear. Um, and, and I will, I'll tell you that everything I do on this podcast, everything on my YouTube channel, everything I do on TikTok, all the little methods and processes that I teach, they're effective, but they are all symptom relief. They will not heal you. Now, I mean, maybe there's some exception somewhere because of other work someone is doing. I'm not getting into that, but in general, it is not healing work. It is symptom relief work. Like I said, doesn't mean symptom relief is bad. Just want to differentiate. All right. So that's the first thing out of the way. And this is going to be kind of a, almost like a numbered list. You can probably see the bullet points. This one is probably, uh, it's a little difficult to put out there because I know it's probably going to rub some people the wrong way and I, I just have to do it. And I'm going to tell my story and why I know this or how I know this for myself. Like I said, take it or leave it. Um, Spiritual paths, religions, um, including Christianity, Protestant Christianity, Catholic Christianity, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of the major religions, they do not necessarily provide deep healing. Now, now hear what I have to say now. And it's not because um, they can't. It's because they, they, it's not always approached that way. It's not always approached by somebody as a healing path. And I'll, I'll get more into that. And it's not always presented that way. And the people that are um, presenting the faith aren't always people that are trying to heal what ills us. And I'm, I'm specifically talking about mental, mental challenges that we face, mental illness, anxiety, depression, those kinds of things, just general malaise. Um, and, and that's okay. Now, notice, I'm also saying that spiritual paths, religions, and even if you don't call it a religion, your relationship with God can be deeply healing. So I'm not saying it's not, but I think that the way spirituality, and I'm just using that to refer to everything, whether you can think of it as a religion, a relationship, whatever it is, it can be approached in different ways. And I, it seems in my experience that often it is not approached in a way that's conducive to healing. And how do I know this? I've been involved in a few religions over my lifetime. Started Episcopal, though that was my younger years. Barely have any memories of that. I, I think I say in my uh, my ebook that it, I thought of it as a place where you go do some boring stuff and then you have coffee cake in the basement. Then we became a fundamentalist Baptist. Uh, we joined a fun, fundamentalist Baptist sect, um, and I use the word sect instead of cult, but in my opinion, it, it was a cult. Highly destructive for me. And then I moved through other religions. I was a Hare Krishna monk. Um, practiced a kind of Zen Buddhism, though I wasn't really officially Zen Buddhist. Never called myself that. Tried some general spirituality, New Age stuff. And I'm, I'll stop there. There's lots. I've tried it all. I've also seen a lot of people in those groups. And I can tell you with, with uh, a lot of experience behind it that in every one of these groups from fundamentalist Christianity to Catholic Christianity to less fundamentalist Protestant Christianity. Being a part of your religious group or being a part of a spiritual community and following its principles does not automatically heal you. Some of the most committed Christians, some of the most committed Buddhists, Hindus, you name it, all of them, most committed. And I, I mean, sincerely, I'm not talking about somebody who's faking it. They sincerely believe, or at least from what I can tell, I don't know their hearts. 
They suffer severely. I'm not talking about the way saints suffered or, you know, I'm talking about anxiety about life. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's a problem. I'm not condemning them. But it's clear to me, and I'm assuming everyone that's listening, whatever you are, atheist to committed Christian, I think you know what I'm talking about. So, the religion doesn't necessarily provide, the spirituality doesn't necessarily provide relief from everyday suffering. It can, though. So that's important. So when it comes to, I'm going to read you a quote here. And um, I'm in advance, I'll just say, I don't necessarily disagree with the quote, but I think there's, there's some, some stuff we need to dig into in it. The answer to our anxiety is not drugs, alcohol, tranquilizers, or psychiatric treatment. It will not be cured by yoga or some Eastern meditation practice. The problem is that we have lost God at the center of our lives. Once we make our love for God the primary focus of our lives and allow his grace to work through us, then we will be comforted and embraced in his love no matter what circumstances we encounter in life. All anxiety disappears. This is the aim of the Orthodox life, to put God first and seek the Holy Spirit. The anxieties of modern life are only symptoms of our separation from God. And uh, forgive the, uh, the Saint uh, Pisos the Anthonite. Pisios the Anthonite. Anyway, um, I'm not Orthodox. I've never, I know nothing about the Orthodox faith. But I want to I bring that in because I, I don't think that this is unique to Orthodox faith. I'm sh- I think it's, I've heard it said by Catholics, Protestants. Uh, I don't know about Buddhists, Hindus for sure. Um, so I agree, a lot of those things you listed are not going to be answers. They're really just symptom relief. Um, including meditation. So I meditated for 25 years. I'm a yoga teacher. But the issue I have is I see a lot of people that at least ostensibly have God at the center of their lives and they are still struggling. So clearly it's a little deeper than this. So if I want to find how he's right and, and, and by God, um, and different people are going to mean different things. So take it your way. But I don't think... It, so, so one of two things is happening. He's either totally wrong or putting God at the center of your life means something other than what many people take it to mean. And I don't know. I don't know anything. This is all my opinion. I, I truly don't know anything. I'm just speaking from my heart here. But I guess that just what I want to say about that quote is I've known plenty of people that have a lot of faith or seem to have a lot of faith that are still struggling constantly throughout their lives so clearly, faith is not the cure, or just a type of faith. And, and as far as spirituality and healing, I don't have a lot of experience with that, because when I found healing, and, and I don't necessarily believe in total 100% healing, I don't know what that even means. So when I say I'm healed, I don't necessarily mean there's nothing left for me to work on. I'm not perfect, nothing like that. But every day is pretty dang good. Even days when things that are potentially difficult happen, life is just good. I don't have major depressive episodes. I don't have depressive episodes at all, period. I don't have episodes of severe anxiety. Anxiety, uh, I learned from a, a psychologist, I, I, he is, is not necessarily what we think of as um, anxiety disorders when it, when it hurts us. 
anxiety is actually that feeling that uh, that feeling that drives us. And I'm I'm not even going to look it up, but it's it's a feeling everybody experiences. And we would not want to lose anxiety. But when I say anxiety, I'm not talking about that. Um, for my purposes. I, I, when I say anxiety, I mean suffering from anxiety, not just feeling whatever that emotion is. I left all that behind. Now, I don't even know, three and a half years ago. And when I say left it behind, I don't mean sometimes I feel really bad and I just don't get on social media and talk about it. It doesn't mean... I sometimes feel it really bad and make excuses for it. No, I don't ever feel really bad. And that could change. I acknowledge that. But right now, I have years behind me of feeling good or at least decent all the time. But I found that healing at a time when I was absolutely atheist. I've been atheist or was atheist, I should say. I'm not anymore. I was atheist. From the earliest time I heard about God up until about a year and a month ago, a year and a couple months ago, there was some, I was kind of dabbling before that for about six months or so, maybe a year. But I was an atheist at the time that I found this deep healing I'm talking about. No belief in God. And I have another quote for you. Just slightly relevant, not as relevant to the topic at hand, but more, more, I want to make a comment about it for those who have always believed. So this is uh, Fulton Sheen, a Catholic priest. I think he was a bishop. Uh, Amazing guy. I love what Fulton Sheen has to say most of the time, but I'm reading this because I absolutely disagree. Atheism is not the knowledge that God does not exist, but only the wish that he did not in order that one could sin without reproach or exalt one's ego without challenge. The pillars upon which atheism mounts are sensuality and pride. Absolutely, absolutely not. Coming from a former atheist. Now, I don't fault him for this. He's probably somebody who had faith from an early age. If you have never considered yourself atheist, and and I don't mean considered as in you called yourself an atheist, but if you have never experience what it's like not to believe in God, you might just want to listen to people that have experienced that because it's not as it's presented in churches. Sometimes, maybe it is, maybe what he's talking about is absolutely valid in some cases, but I can tell you in my case, after a lot of soul searching, absolutely not. It wasn't that I wanted to sin. It's not that I didn't want God to exist. I'm telling you from the age First, first age when I considered the question of whether there's a God, and I'm talking five or six, the answer was a resounding no. Now, I agree with his first, his first sentence. Atheism is not the knowledge that God does not exist. Of course not. You can't prove a negative. And yes, I believe in God, but I still believe logic is a, a nice guide for how to think about these things. Yes, atheism is not the knowledge that God's, God does not exist period. The rest of it doesn't apply because it doesn't apply to me. And I'm sure countless others, maybe millions of others in in the world. That doesn't mean that I'm advocating for atheism. And like I said, I'm not an atheist at this point, but I I say this for a reason. I want to make sure you understand what I mean by atheism, because if you come from a religious background and you've been in it for all or most of your life, 
atheism is kind of potentially a bugaboo that's been called a lot of things by other religious people. But I really encourage you, listen to what atheists have to say about it. If you want to understand and convert atheists, don't listen to what your pastor says atheism is. Go listen to atheists about it. That's the only way you're going to ever have an effect if that's what your goal is. So uh, another quick thing. This is going to be a long podcast. I've just been holding this back, not speaking from my heart. I speak from my heart, but I've held a lot back. And this may be the turning point for me. Maybe this is the first podcast where I just let it all out. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm not going to go. I don't, I don't have the book anymore, but um, Richard Dawkins, one of the foremost atheists in the world, uh, virulent atheist, not virulent, um, angry <laughs> atheist, uh, almost a fundamentalist atheist, whatever you want to call him. You know, the worst of the worst if you're a religious person. Richard Dawkins has made a really good point about this, and I, and I don't remember which book it is, but he said that nobody is an atheist in the sense that uh, Fulton Sheen is talking about an atheist. And believe me, I'm paraphrasing. I haven't read this book in 20 years. It's a spectrum. What is the likelihood that God exists is the question that we're asking. So we have people that are pretty close to the 100% certainty mark, I think. And then you have people on the other end that are pretty close to the 100% certainty that he doesn't exist. And then there's people in the middle. So it's in reality, the word atheism is probably not accurate about anybody. Um, it's probably more accurate to say agnostics on a spectrum and there are hard agnostics and soft agnostics. And, and I don't even know if those are terms, but I'm putting it out there. I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I was an agnostic or atheist because I saw no evidence for the existence of God. I didn't feel the presence of God in my life, despite at a very early age, asking Jesus to come into my heart praying the sinner's prayer, the Protestant thing, being baptized uh, Episcopal as a baby, being baptized as a Baptist at, I think, eight years old, uh, all the other religions I belong to. Never felt the presence of God. I wanted to. I really wanted to. Never felt the presence of God in my life. And I've always been a little too logical, I guess. And if I didn't feel the presence, I wasn't going to fake it. Because what does it mean to believe something? And I, I guess I can't go into that. That's, that's literally another entire podcast. What does it mean to believe something? Maybe think about that. And that's homework for next time. What does it mean to believe something? Because I think most of us, maybe 90%, probably more of people saying, I believe X, Y, and Z, haven't even thought about what it means to believe something. Is it just a thought in my head? Is a belief a feeling in my heart? And I'm not giving an answer now. But I will tell you, I wanted to believe in God. I tried and never successfully did it, not even for a minute. And it resulted in terrible nightmares for me as a young child. And I'm not going to go into that. I've gone into it in other podcasts, my book. But I had nightmares because I couldn't make myself believe. And I was in a religion where you are going to hell and you're going to burn for eternity if you are not a born-again Christian, the way they define it. And so... It was torture for me. I sincerely asked Jesus to come into my heart. I mean, how, how sincere is an eight-year-old? I mean, they are as sincere as you can be, but it just never took. Never. Not even for a minute. 
So that's where I'm coming from when I say I'm an atheist. I wasn't a committed atheist. I wasn't preaching it to anybody. I didn't even say there's definitely no God. I just, there was, it was like, um, I don't know if I'm getting this from someone else, but I've said it before. The question of whether there's a God is as relevant to me as whether there's a unicorn orbiting the moon. Am I an atheist when it comes to unicorns orbiting the moon? No. And for me in the past, it was a silly question. And I just moved on with my life. So I wasn't preaching atheism. So I hope that is all enough to get across to you what kind of atheist I was. So I'm an atheist at the time. And I found profound healing. Deep healing. That has lasted to this point. No breaks. You hear it a lot in healing circles. Life is about ups and downs. Okay, sure. There are going to be bad things that happen. Terrible things. Sad things. Things that make us angry. All those things. When I say healed, I don't mean that I don't feel emotions. I feel emotions deeply. What doesn't happen is I, I don't get triggered and then go off the deep end when those emotions come up. I feel them, sit with them, never push them away, and they eventually fade as emotions always do. So that's where I'm coming from. That's what I basically mean by healing. And in keeping in mind, it's maybe not 100%, but generally, healed as an atheist. And guess what happened after that healing took place? As an atheist, I know I'm repeating myself. I just don't care. This podcast, not many people are listening. And I decided today I'm going to speak from my heart. Some things happened recently and I just, it's just impressed upon me that I'm holding back too much. And so here you go. (laughs) The new me right in front of you talking about healing. It is a type of healing. The fear of of being 100% vulnerable, not just 99% vulnerable. And speaking earnestly from my heart. So, I'm healed. (laughs) And then, guess what starts to happen a little while later? Suddenly, I start feeling something. Maybe like the presence of God in my life. (laughs) So, not condemning religion, like I said, not saying that, re- that religion and spirituality and whatever, your relationship with Jesus can't heal you, but I know you have experience that tells you that it doesn't always. And maybe what you can take away from this is that there is an, a, a way to approach it. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that is in your particular religion, but I, I think there's a way to approach your spirituality that can be permanently healing. But I, I think most people are not doing that. But that's speculative. I don't know. I don't have statistics. All right. So that was just one sub point. I don't think they're all that long. But you can heal without spirituality is kind of the end of that point. And I do want to add something. You can heal in spirituality, out of it, whatever. But spirituality, relationship with God, whatever you see it as, it is going to improve your life leaps and bounds, especially after you've found that healing. And I'm getting even deeper than I expected, but I I think it's appropriate here. This is my experience. Again, I'm not telling you some gospel truth, but all of that heartache, all the trauma, all the anxiety, all the depression, 
maybe not always, but for me at least, all of that suffering was a barrier between me and God. And we'll get into it a little bit more why I think that is. But all of that suffering, and I'm going to add a couple words here, all of that suffering, or another way of putting it, my attachment to all of that suffering was putting a wedge between me and God. I was holding on to it. And I see that being on the other side of it. It's hard to see when you're in it. It was hard for me. It was impossible for me to see when I was in the suffering. But it was separating me from God. Not here on this podcast to preach, to tell you you need to believe in God. Absolutely not. I'm just giving my personal story. God was there in my experience. Now, God was always there. I was blocking God. And my trauma was blocking God. My pain was blocking God from doing his work. Now, I think some people do find God within the pain. So again, it's my experience. And then, once the pain relieved to some extent, and then eventually, pretty much totally, then it became obvious, oh, I'm the fish swimming in water. God is everywhere. Of course. But I had blinders on, the pain. Now, the pain is just one species of what keeps us separate from God. But anyway, that's not the purpose of this. I, maybe I will talk about it in the future. And I, I want to make another point about healing. You, this is, is somewhat related, and I, but I do see this a lot in religious circles, this tendency. Um, you, you can't power your way through healing. You can't. Uh, again, my experience, I've never seen it happen. You can't say, I am healed because X, Y, and Z. Affirmations, big thing in the New Age with New Agers and, and just generally spiritual people. Affirmations, just repeat the same thing over and over again and you will, you will be healed or you'll be okay. Now, you know, affirmations are actually powerful, but not in that way. They aren't going to heal you. It's, it's potentially symptom relief. It's also a way to change the way you think about things. But here's the thing, and this is another of my hard truths about healing from my perspective. The mind is what damaged you in the first place. The mind is never going to get you out of the mess it got you into. You can't think your way out of pain and suffering. Well, maybe you can get some symptom relief, but you can't think your way out of deep mental pain that's stuck inside your body, inside your mind. You can't think your way out of it. Thinking got you into it. And that's another subject for a podcast, why my, my theories about how this works and how the pain sticks in the mind, in the body, however we want to model it. So you can't power your way out of it, and you can't think your way out of it. So I'll talk about it from the lens of the modality that I know, the one I discovered for myself, retrocession. Retrocession does not work by, un, un, um, by surfacing bad memories. We do surface bad memories, but that's actually not the important point of it. And sometimes they're very vague, and it's not important to relive those bad memories. Now, you, some people do, many people do, as they heal from it, but it's not the essential part of it. Talking about them endlessly. Nobody has to share with me 
their bad memories in order for them to be healed. And this is not just me. I've done this with dozens of people now. It works whether they share it with me or not. So this is not like talk therapy. So we're not thinking our way into it. In fact, some of the instructions for retrocession that I give are you're not thinking. You're allowing these things, these, these incidents from your past to pop out. You're not thinking your way to them, and you're certainly not thinking your way to the release of those things. There's simple instructions I give, and, and you can find some of that online, and I'm going to be putting a lot more up. I'm really just starting at this. But retrocession is not about thinking, and it is not about reliving. It's not about powering your way through. It's a very subtle approach where you find how you're holding on to it, and then I have a method for allowing you when you're ready to release your death grip on your trauma and pain that's holding you back in life, maybe even holding you back from a relationship with God. So much for making this whole podcast thing uh, secular. I, I thought, until this moment, I thought that's what it was going to be, but apparently not. I can't. I, I'm just going to have to speak from my heart from here on out. So I've kind of hinted at at what I'm getting at here. But rather than powering your way through healing, it takes humility. It takes courage. You have to face your fear. And we'll get into this more in the next section, but you can't just go to somebody who's going to say some words over you and wave their hands over you and heal you. I know there's examples in the Bible and other places about that happening. So I'm not, I'm not even discounting those stories. I don't know, honestly. But even in those cases, these were not people walking along their way who, out of nowhere, an apostle comes up behind them, touches them on the head, and they're healed. As far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, these were people who sought healing. They believed to some extent. They faced the apostle. They faced Jesus. They asked for the healing. And I think that applies in general. You can't be healed by a doctor without interacting with the doctor. So, you have to be willing to to be humble. You have to be willing to face your fear, to face the suffering that you've had for all these years, to face the incidents that resulted in that suffering, that spiraled out of control, resulting in the, the mess that you're in now. And, and I like the word Pema Chodron uses. She's a Buddhist nun. Um, she talks about groundlessness. I, I think, frankly, I think that faith is a decent synonym for that, at least the way I use it. Groundlessness. I can't do it myself. I'm helpless, hopeless. On my own. One way of thinking of that is that's the mind talking. That's what we come to know as ourselves, and, and in my opinion, is not who we are. The self we've come to know is, you could call it an illusion. This imperfect, unhappy, suffering self. I don't mean it's an illusion as in it doesn't exist. It certainly does exist, but it's not who we really are. And if we have a shot at continuing after this life, I don't think that's the part that continues. The other piece of it, relevant to healing, is I think that parts of that self that we have come to know as us, the anxious, depressed parts, 
the parts that think they know everything, the judgmental parts, I think those parts can die while we are still alive. We can be born again. We can drop the BS that causes all the suffering in our lives. We can let it go permanently. But it's not easy. Symptom relief is much easier. Listening to a guided meditation. I'm talking about my stuff. The stuff I put out there. Going to a yoga class. I I started going to hot yoga regularly because I was at the lowest point of my life and it gave me relief for 24 hours. But I had to go back the next day because the anxiety was back by then. which is burning out my nervous system so there's no capacity for anxiety. Doesn't mean yoga's bad, but it's not a cure. In and of itself, maybe some people can use it for cure. I don't know. And so we have to do the hard work. So if you're looking for someone to heal you and you think that they're going to do the heavy lifting for you, well, they may. They may in some sense do some heavy lifting for you. I'm not saying they don't. But you don't just get to be your old self. You don't just get to carry on with your attachments all the pain, the suffering, all, and I, this is coming for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse this a little bit and just say it from my, from, as myself because I'm not directing this at you so much as sharing my experience. I benefited from being in pain. And I've told my story in other places. Uh, just suffice it to say, I was as low as a person could be, suicidal ideation, lying on the floor, unwilling even to get up to get into a comfortable bed because I was so anxious, daily panic attacks that shut me down. I would lie in bed or on the floor in the dark all day, just wanting to die. But as terrible as that was, I benefited in some way from it. I don't know if you benefit from your issues. I do not know, but I did. It took the pressure off me. I had an excuse. I had an excuse not to be the person that I knew was kind of under the surface. It took all the pressure off me to be that ill. And I really was. I'm not saying I was faking it. I really was that anxious. That depressed, having those panic attacks, they were for real, but it benefited me. Now, that doesn't mean I could just at will eliminate them, but I acknowledge that I benefited from that pain. And so if you're going to someone expecting them to heal you, but you're not willing to approach the things that need healing, I'm going to guess that it's not going to work. Now, I could be wrong. Please comment, send a message through my website, uh, my email. I never give that. I probably should. Chris at retrocession.org, C-H-R-A-S at R-E-T-R-O-C-E-S-S-I-O-N.org. You can find it in the description of the podcast, I believe. You may go to a healer after listening to this and feel good and say, ah, Chris is wrong. That podcast, absolutely wrong. I'm healed. But wait. Now, I hope this is wrong. I, I, I sincerely hope that you have found a way to find healing without doing the hard work. I hope so. That's beautiful if you did. Tell me about it. I want to hear about it. But I think what's going to happen and what happened with me, again, this is just my personal experience and the experience of watching other people go through this. It's a, a freaking roller coaster. They go get some healing, some coaching, especially, quote, spiritual coaching. and 
they feel good for a little while. Uh, I calculated this at one point in my life. I think I found that about five days, it's like has a half-life of five days if I'm speaking in medical terms. And so by the time five days has passed or seven days, whatever it is, might be different for other people, might be different for different modalities, but there's a half-life for it. And it kind of leaves your system and you're kind of back to normal. I mean, I've heard of this. Some of you may be into self-help. The latest book comes out. You have a shelf full of them. I did this. Again, I'm not really saying you. I'm really talking to myself here. I had a book shelf full of self-help books. And each one, oh, this is the thing that's going to fix me. But it was a roller coaster, up and down and up and down and up and down. And you go to healing and you feel amazing and then it starts to wear off. And oh, I still feel good. You know, it's just integration and I believe in integration, but uh, so I'm not discounting that, but oh, it's just integration and then you're down again. Pretty much where you started, probably right where you started. And then you go back, you get another session and then you're right back where you started. And again, right back where you started. So I, I need to be clear here. It's not always 10 steps forward, zero steps back. It is absolutely possible to take a few steps forward, a few steps back, but the general trajectory should be change and change in a positive direction. I don't know the, I don't remember the, the um, chapter and verse, but one of my favorite verses in the Bible, know a tree by its fruit. Apply that to yourself. Honestly, are you getting what you expected out of this healing that that's supposed to be happening or are you convincing yourself that it's happening do you need it to work you paid some money you probably paid money for it i don't see many healers working for free outside of churches even some of them charge you probably paid some money so there is a bias back to the logic there is a bias that we have when we pay for something we want it to work because we don't want to look like a fool for paying for something that doesn't work let this stick if you're in that situation it might not feel right right now but just ponder it later and we'll get in more in the next section about healers and what to watch out for because there are a lot of them now now some of you are listening you probably don't realize that because your Facebook, your Instagram, your social media, you're not um, not getting those because the algorithm doesn't show them to you. But believe me, there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens and dozens of people that not only are going to heal you, but also teach you to become a healer for the low price of $199.99. And then you can heal other people. It's all over, constant, all over the place. All over in my, in, I live in Dayton, Ohio. All over here, it's not even a big city. It's all over. I'm not talking about any of them in particular. If you're one of them, just look in your heart. You know. Is there doubt? Do you have imposter syndrome? I have a blog about that. I haven't published it yet. But you know. Don't positive talk yourself into convincing yourself everything is great, giving yourself affirmations. Really sit with that imposter syndrome. But anyway. To everybody. It doesn't need to be a roller coaster. Now, as I went through retrocession myself, as I've taken people that have consistently done retrocession through their sessions, there are ups and there are downs. But at least in the case of retrocession, nobody ever has to heal the same thing twice. 
Now, one in one particular event from their life may be the cause of multiple threads and we're healing all those. That's fine. What I'm saying is if my anxiety, uh, if my uh, test anxiety is what I'm working on and I'm healing that, it will get better over time. Not, I think it's better over time. No, at least this is the standard I hold myself to with retrocession. Not, I think it's getting better over time. It's, oh, it's a dramatic, undeniable decrease in my test anxiety over time. And and being clear here, I'm not saying you go to one session and, oh, I'm perfect now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, look for the roller coaster. It's not a part of genuine healing. Symptom relief, yes, that is a hallmark of symptom relief is the up and down and just always kind of floating around the same place. Now, sometimes, and applied to me as well, as I was on that roller coaster, sometimes I would have a breakthrough and a little bit of healing would happen. I'm not saying you're not healing if you're just doing symptom relief. I want to be clear about that. You're doing amazing work. You're improving your life. Basically, I don't want you to waste 15, 20 years like I did pursuing all these things that just resulted in more roller coasters. Same dang thing for 20 years. Religion, spirituality, therapy, Western therapy, psychoanalysis. Same, that all goes in the same boat, by the way. So I'm not just picking on alternative practitioners. There needs to be a clear sign of healing over time. And I'm not talking about 10 years. In my opinion, it should be a much, 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 much shorter window. If I can't go to someone for three months and see a positive, undeniable healing trajectory, I think it's time to really reconsider. I apply that to myself as well when I'm working with people. Part of the retrocession process is reevaluating every month. What kind of undeniable evidence do we have that this is working for you? Because I do not want you to waste your time with me and money if it's not creating undeniable permanent change. So, this brings us to the healer's portion. There's, there's more I could say, and I, I'm sure that I will do other podcasts about healing and what it really means because we've really just scratched the surface. We haven't even talked much about what healing is. I think everybody kind of assumes it's a thing and a particular thing and all good, but uh, we will move on to healers. So I think the first part of the podcast up to this moment, um, I wasn't really hesitant to put that out there. No big deal. I'm just talking about healing. Some of it's probably not what people want to hear. Friends, family, others that may listen to this eventually. Not Don't have a lot of listeners right now. Healers, I want to tell you a secret. This is for real a secret that some people out there don't want you to know. Coaches, healers, etc. This is from personal experience. Healers are often unhealed people who couldn't hack it in a 9 to 5 anymore. I'll say it again. Healers are often people who couldn't hack it in a 9 to 5 anymore. Their process, their process for getting out of their anxiety, their pain, the struggle of going to a 9 to 5, and believe me, I understand it. I had to go back to it while I was in the process of healing. They 
can't hack it. And so they start coaching. I mean it. Now, what have they done? Because they're, they're probably not just going to quit their job and start trying to coach people. Uh, most of the time, they get certifications. You can get certifications in everything, and it can be cheap. It could be I don't know, like 15 bucks for some Reiki certification. It could be thousands of dollars for yoga. So you, if you're paying their fees, often very high, we can probably talk a little bit about that as well. You are paying for them not to have a nine-to-five so they don't have the stress of a job. And so they aren't dealing with their unhealed self on a daily basis for eight, nine hours, whatever they're working. So you're going to them for symptom relief most of the time. And their symptom relief, they're getting from your money that allows them not to work the job. Again, this is not me making this up. This comes from very specific examples. So, so there, some may say, well, those who can't do teach. Can somebody who is unhealed uh, help somebody relax? Absolutely, they can. Can somebody who is unhealed help somebody get stronger? Yes. Can somebody who's unhealed help somebody learn how to make more money? Yes, of course. But someone who is unhealed is not going to be able to teach someone to heal. Going back to the earlier definition, permanently heal. To stop struggling every single day. No, they are not doing it themselves. Now, some people may go to someone like that and they may figure it out on their own. But they are not learning it from this unhealed person that they're paying hundreds or thousands of dollars to. So beware of that. What is this person's path? So I think back to when I uh, quit the law firm. So quit, quit. I had a law firm, did really well. Last couple, three months, I, I was uh, running it, did really well. But you know what? I quit anyway because I couldn't hack it. It was a nervous breakdown, whatever that means. I like using that term because I don't think it has a strict definition in psychology, uh, purposely using it for that reason. I had a freaking nervous breakdown. So I think you know what that means, or at least you have an idea of what it is. It was as bad as it can be, basically. So uh, I, I quit my profession with 100 in student loan debt, no way of ever paying it back without being a lawyer, but I quit. It was the best thing I ever did. Had to do it. It was life or death for me. But could I have made the choice to become a healer of some sort, some spiritual coach? Sure. I've been, at that point, I'd been meditating, what, probably 20 years solid. I had some serious insights about the way the mind operates. Uh, I had serious insights about the way my depression and anxiety were operating. Could I cure it? No. Would I have liked to just talk to people about meditation and instead of driving Uber and Lyft and, you know, make more money potentially? Sure. Would it have been ethical? Absolutely not. I'm telling you, in my opinion, so now I'm not just talking about myself. I am making a statement. It is unethical to offer something to others that you have not done for yourself. So as an example, so this one's mild um, in, in, let's say yoga teachers, because I I went to yoga teacher training right after I, I quit my law firm. I've heard this from therapists over and over again as well. They get into the profession, yoga teaching, therapy, 
whatever the case may be, because they are damaged and they want to see if they can learn things, not only to help other people, but, but on a deep level, maybe subconscious in some cases, they're hoping to help themselves. But then they finish school, they start taking on clients, and somehow they're still unhealed. And you know what? Now it's a job and you got to make your money doing it. And this happens with the alternative spiritual healers as well. Get a certification and magically, I'm not, or not magically, I'm not healed. Well, I got the certification. Might as well put myself out there as doing this particular thing. And, uh, and so you have someone that's unhealed telling you that they can heal you. Can they offer techniques that work? Sure. Of course you can read a book and spout off techniques. Are they speaking from experience? No, they are not. I don't have numbers on this. Not going to try to speculate, but I think a lot of spiritual healers are just repeating what they've been told. Uh, frankly, I think a lot of yoga teachers are as well. So yoga teachers, another example, but this one's a little different uh, and I'll explain. Yoga teachers are often some of the most anxious people I have ever met. And that includes me when I went through yoga teacher training. Um, I didn't really start teaching regularly until I really found some healing. So, um, But I, I did teach for a bit while I was still deeply unhealed. Yoga teachers often, I think, become yoga teachers because they have so much stress in their lives and yoga is supposed to be a great stress reliever. And so they hope to find the secrets to improve their lives. Then they become yoga teachers. And then teaching yoga, frankly, stresses them out. And so if you go to a yoga class, you're often going to see it. The teacher, while giving the appearance of calm, adds something behind their eyes, the way they talk, the way they interact. You can see the anxiety. They probably would admit it as well. Now, yoga teachers are different because yoga has become, in the West, something that it's basically exercise in the, for the most part. Exercise with kind of an Eastern spirituality flavor to it. It's marketing more than anything. Um, in a, in a, yeah, sure, it might help you relax a little bit. Um, and, and, and again, I teach yoga, so I'm not condemning yoga, but it is not such a big deal if a yoga teacher is teaching yoga while they're suffering from anxiety. I, I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. Now, if they're presenting yoga for anxiety relief and they're not relieved of their anxiety, then that's exactly who I'm talking to right now or talking about right now. Though I will give an example from yoga. Um, it's not directly relevant, but it's kind of an analogy. So in yoga, there are mudras, there are hand positions, uh, you know, holding thumb to index finger, uh, the other three fingers extended out. So that's one I think most people have seen, even, even if they don't you do yoga or meditate. Um, that mudra is supposed to have certain properties. Now, I never studied them closely. I honestly have no interest in mudras. Um, but teachers will teach it, and you can tell that they're just teaching what they learned in yoga teacher training or what they read on a blog right before class. It's not, they're not teaching from some deep knowledge that this hand position is going to bring focus. Never, never that I have ever heard, I've never heard a teacher talk about mudras in a way that sounded like it was coming from experience. All yoga teachers say the same things about the mudras. So am I saying that that is uh, inappropriate? Oh man, I don't know because I don't know. I don't know. That's up to the individual teacher. I never teach it because I would never teach mudras because I have no personal experience with it and probably never will. And so in my opinion, we should not be teaching things that we have not used to great effect for ourselves. It's not just a way to make your class a little bit more interesting, but I digress. I'm sure most, I may not even have any yoga teachers listening to this, but 
as I said, the secret. Healers are often unhealed people who can't hack it in a nine to five anymore. So they go into the healing profession, get a certification, and bam, they don't have to work a nine to five. Now most people fail, but uh, you know they have to go back to a nine to five. Um, but that is the secret. Now, now, am I saying these people that if somebody holds themselves out as a healer that they need to be a hundred percent healed before they they no before they they uh, teach people? No, absolutely not. And I'm not going to try to give you some breakdown or give you a test you can apply to yourself or other people to see if they're healed enough. It's really an art, not a science. It's a nonsense concept, the idea of being 100% healed. I don't even know what it means. Now, there may be some way to define it, but I've never tried to, and I don't care to. Is your life generally pretty good? If you are trying to heal people, or if you are seeking someone to heal you, their life better be pretty dang good, if that's what they're teaching you. And I'm going to apply this to myself. Um, I am not going to teach you how to manifest wealth. I have never done it for myself. And frankly, I'm not even really trying at this point. So do not come to me for, for information about how to manifest wealth. I'll give an example, uh, an example from my life as well. I'm working on a workshop about getting organized. When I first started working on this workshop, I was highly disorganized. I wasn't even going to present other than maybe some technology components. Uh, but I wasn't going to talk about getting organized. And I have a partner that was going to do most of the work, if not all the work, with me just piping in here and there. Because I knew I am not organized. How can I teach people to get organized? I'm not going to fake it till I make it. I'm not going to use my, my, I'm not going to charge people to teach them about something that I have not mastered. But in the course of working on it, and not necessarily through the, um, through the, the work on the workshop, but I did discover organization in my life not saying it's perfect but due to some recognition that happened i i finally am pretty dang organized and it's been holding for a time now so now i can teach what i learned but can i teach someone to run a a multi-billion dollar company get organized enough to teach a multi-billion or run a multi-billion dollar company absolutely not i couldn't do it I don't have those skills. I don't know what it takes to do that. And so I think it's really important if you're seeking out someone to help you with healing that you find somebody who lives the life that you want. Now, I'm not talking about social media. And I'm not going to get into it deeply here, but I have this blog that I've been sitting on for a while and I need to get it out there. And it's actually, it's supposed to be for an audience of these healers but it's about ethics and healing. And they'll show you, and this is again, personal experience, knowing some people that do this, what they show you on social media is not who they are. They might even, ah, drives me nuts. They might even say that they are healed and I see what happens behind the scenes. They are not healed. You are being lied to. How do you know that? I don't know interview them, get serious about it. Don't, don't just listen to what they tell you. And especially don't listen, don't look at what they show you on social media because social media is notorious inside and outside the spiritual community. It's notorious for people showing you what they want you to see. That's what social media is. So be skeptical of social media. 
how do you know that that social, I can give you some ways to look for the social media cues that might tell you that this is a show for you. Is this person using sales tactics? Are they, um, are they creating artificial scarcity? I only have two spots left. I have a sale, $22 off for this period of time. Are they using sales tactics? That is fully appropriate when you're selling someone a car. Everyone expects it. There are so many different kinds of cars out there. You need to differentiate yourself as a car salesman. No problem. I have no problem with, with objects, commodities being sold using sales tactics. I do not think that healing, even Western medicine, should be, should be sold using sales tactics. Let the proof be in the work that you do. So if you f- see somebody who's using sales tactics, if, I'm going to put it bluntly, if it looks like the person is selling for a multi-level marketing company, but they're a spiritual coach, look carefully. If you don't know anything about multi-level marketing, sorry, I'm not going to go into it. it used to be a fascination of mine. It's like the commercial, a commercial cult, basically. Are they manipulative? watch, listen, if it doesn't feel right, pay close attention. Are they using manipulative tactics? And not all are. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. I know plenty of people that are not doing these things. So I'm not telling you all coaches are doing this. I'm saying that a good portion of them are. Watch out for it. How do they live their life? Do you see, if you go back in their social media history, this comes from experience and do this if you're looking for someone to provide you healing? Go back in their social media history, a couple of years, look at it. Do they have horrific relationships? Have they had breakdown, multiple breakdowns over the past year or two? Are they crying out for help? I mean, God bless them. I feel for them. I'm not calling them out for hurting. But if you are a coach and you, and, and, oh gosh, I hope I'm not giving people ideas, coaches, unethical coaches ideas, but if you're a coach and you have anything that, anything indicative of a breakdown on your social media in the past two years, that is a problem. Two, three years? Seriously. I'm not saying to go delete your old posts if you're a coach. Look in the mirror. If you're a coach, are you selling something that you have or are you selling hope? Now, reversing that for those looking for a coach. Are you being sold hope or are you being sold healing? Now, whether you can sell someone healing, that's another point. I'm using the words really loosely. Um, I've, I've actually decided to move to a, a model where, you know, as, a, as somebody who's doing this kind of work, you do need to make money because if you don't make money, you are going to have to go get another job and then you're going to have no time for, for doing the healing work. So the, it, it's legit to charge. I, I'm not saying that you should never charge because if you don't charge, you're not going to be doing the work. But what are you charging for? Or what is this person charging for? Sorry, we're orienting this toward the uh, consumer, not the, the person selling these services. But why are you charging what you're charging? And some affirmation about you being worth it is not a legitimate reason to charge what you're charging. Why are you charging what you're charging? Why are they offering sales? If their services are worth $111 an hour and they're charging you 88, 
How did they come up with the 111? How are they charging you 88 now? And where did they come up with the 88? Apply that same logic. Where did they come up with these numbers? Honestly, it's often a business decision. Now there's going to have to be some calculation. I'm not saying you just randomly pick a number. But why are they charging what they charge? Ask, maybe ask that actually. Why are they charging what they charge? And if, if they tell you that they're worth it and they're telling you that they went through the certification, they did this and that, um, be careful. Personally, I'd like to hear something a little bit more substantial out of it. And then ask yourself, what is the value that I'm receiving? So if you're going through these processes and you're receiving these services, is it really worth, are you getting your money's worth out of it? Or are you being sold a bill of goods? When it comes to coaches, do they fully embody what they are selling to you? Ask the questions. Listen carefully. Don't be afraid to hurt their feelings. Ask the questions, please. And if you come to me for retro session, I not only welcome it, I am going to one of our meetings in the retro session process, very early in the process, I am going to encourage you to ask those questions. I want you to ask those questions. And Every coach, everyone who's offering a healing service like Retrocession, they should invite those questions. And if it makes them uncomfortable, be careful. Know a tree by its fruit. So some people, and I've seen somebody do this and then kind of backtrack on it, but sometimes healers say that they're on a healing journey with you. And if, you, if they explicitly state that and you understand going into it that they are not healed and that they're kind of doing it along with you and they're just really facilitating the experience, great. I have no problem with that. Go for it. As long as it's out in the open and that is you know what you're signing up for. As long as you know that person is not healed, they don't have the experience to really tell you what it's like to be on the other side of it. As long as they admit it, beautiful. No problem there. So I'm, I'm not actually saying unhealed people should not work with people in healing. I'm just saying they better be explicit about it up front. And, I'm, and man, this is extreme, but this is just my opinion. Again, if I have a relapse in depression or anxiety, I will no longer do retrocession for other people unless I tell them. I suppose I could tell them that I've had a relapse. I will no longer present this thing that I do retrocession if I have a relapse. And I'm talking about, and it's kind of a dangerous thing to say, but in three years, whatever it's been, three and a half, four, um, uh, I guess it'd be, it's over three and a half. So it's three, about three and a half years since the, what I would consider like total healing. Um, in that time, I have not had a relapse of depression or anxiety, not a single panic attack, not one, not even once. And I don't know if that's the standard everyone needs to apply to themselves, but I kind of, if I were going to someone for some healing, I would actually expect that. And I would ask, do you suffer from depression and anxiety? If that's what I'm hoping to be healed from now, healers, people like me, healers, um, we really shouldn't be offering to help with anxiety and depression, at least not directly, because those are medical conditions, and uh, and that actually gets into some legal hot water. But, um, but ask those questions. I would encourage you. 
ask your therapist. Well, <laughs> I think I know the answer in most cases. Now, I don't know every therapist, but uh, I think I know the, the answer in, in many cases of therapists that I've gone to in the past and, and that I've known as, you know, personally. All right. So, so healing journey's fine as long as they admit it. So how do you find someone to help with healing? I gave all the negatives to look out for. And honestly, I wish I had a I wish I had an answer for you. I think you really if you need somebody to help you with your healing, you're just going to have to do some serious due diligence. Um des- desperation is not your friend in this this situation. And I know unfortunately that a lot of times it can be a desperate situation. Um, I have, I didn't look for, for help with healing. Um, well, I, I looked for it, but I didn't look for it through, you know, a, a, a therapist. Well, I guess I went to a therapist, but I didn't go to a spiritual healer, nothing like that. Um, and ended up finding a way to do it myself. Uh, I think that is rare. That's also another way to do it. Uh, it's just much faster if you find the right person to work through it with you. But be patient. Take your time, get to know the person. If they host events, public events that aren't, you know, thousands of dollars, go to those public events, talk to them, ask questions. If you're thinking about hiring them, ask the tough questions. Look for sales tactics. Do they apply pressure? Is there a lot of glam and flash on their website, on their social media? Or are they genuine people presenting genuine healing? In the end, and, and, and I want to make sure I, I'm clear about this. This applies to your pastor. This applies to your priest. This applies to everyone. I just happen to be around a lot of people, uh, especially on social media, that are in the healing profession, alternative healing professions. This applies to all of them. Uh, it applies to your nutritionist. Now, a surgeon is different, I think. Um, your general practitioner that you go to for just basic checkups and when you get the flu, whatever, fine. But if you're going to a doctor to help you get healthy and he or she is not healthy, maybe you should consider that as well. So I'm not just talking about spiritual practitioners here. Do you go to a chiropractor whose spine is bent? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can manipulate someone's spine if your spine is not in line. So maybe I'm being too hard on chiropractors now. But get to know them, go to public events, ask the hard questions. But know, again, just my personal experience from seeing myself and others that have apparently gone on a healing journey and really had some healing, they always do it themselves. I have never healed anyone in my life, and I will not heal anybody in my life. I am a conduit for something at best. But in my opinion, with retrocession especially, maybe there's other forms of healing that don't work this way, but with retrocession especially, you are healing yourself. I'm giving simple commands, very easy to follow commands, to help with the process, to facilitate the process, but you are the one that is healing and you are the one that is healing yourself. And that's why I can offer retrocession online. That's why I can offer retrocession through YouTube videos. And I haven't put any of those up yet and they'll come up. It's not as effective, and there are reasons for that. I'll talk about it in the future, but it is still somewhat effective, can be effective. You can do it on yourself. I'm going to have a course on on auto retrocession, doing it on yourself without a partner. I may even produce one that's partners, both unhealed people helping each other. Retrocession is different in that sense. 
the process works. Now, it is going to be much slower if you're doing it with somebody who has not been on that journey, but that is okay. That is okay. It can be financial. Maybe it's uh, just a desire to work with someone you're already friends with, you're close to. There are good reasons not to go to an individual. It's expensive. Uh, retrocession, we do on a sliding scale all the way down to a dollar per session. I do charge at least a dollar because I want to make sure people have some investment in the process. But healing, in my opinion, is not just for those who can afford it, including this kind of healing. So I think that's it. It's long enough at this point. This may be one of, if not the only, podcast where I do not offer some kind of guided experience, guided meditation, guided journey, some deep relaxation, but this has gone on long enough. And so I bid you adieu. This is Chris from retrocession.org. You can reach me by email, by chat box on the website, or by DM on social media. Thanks for joining me today for this rant.